So we've just arrived at Broom and Brine in beautiful Allen's Rivulet. It's a really cold morning, there's lots of ice on the ground still. And the sun's shining down in the valley across these quite amazing structures that I think Grace and Dylan have built over their garden beds. And Grace has just gone to get us a biscuit. Brian is a market garden created by Grace Gamage and Dylan Lehman on Malakadi country Lutruwita. I first met Grace and Dylan when we were participants in Kate Rich's Feral MBA and we gathered at Broom and Brian as one of the sites for the program. I remember Grace talking about the garden as being an extension of art making rather than a separate commercial entity and I was fascinated by this crossover of the practical, the conceptual and the ritual. During the Feral MBA, COVID-19 was a new thing and we had no idea what was about to hit us. So not long after we finished up in March 2020, we all found ourselves under vastly different circumstances. So this was the first time that I'd got to go back to Broom and Brian since the pandemic made visiting friends a lot more difficult. How much work you guys have done since I was here last year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really the last time with the Feral NBA. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's a long time ago. My name's Grace Gamage. I'm an artist, um, a farmer, and a boxing coach. And I've been boxing now for nearly 10 years. So, and I started boxing because. I was living in my art studio in WA and was like drinking and partying and just being like art vibe stuff and there was like a free like one week membership to this local gym that was just around the corner so I went and um, that's where I met my coach and started training with him and then I've been teaching boxing for actually nearly like six years on and off. I've been reluctantly gardening for probably like four years, but like properly, like really loving it now for maybe two. So I was like helping Dylan out and then actually becoming um, a market gardener and actually like feeling comfortable like that. That's been a couple of years. And our CSA has now been running for nearly one and a half years, which is awesome. And then the art, artist is longer, yeah. Artist is only really since my 20s or something like that. In 2022, Grace was an artist in Cat's Biogym exhibition, presented as part of Dark Mofo, curated by Lisa Campbell-Smith, and also featuring the work of Mary Magic. For the duration of the festival, Grace served up chronobiological cake, baked by Trouble Bakers, which included a mix of local produce and synthetic supplements. I tried what I think was a chocolate and beetroot cake, 
It was delicious and slightly weird. What's that? This is Claytonia, which is like a winter... Some people call it winter purslane. Ah, oh, yeah, it looks before. like purslane. Yeah, and it's... um. Yeah, it's delicious. Um, what a nice little mat as well. Yeah, that that, and that's what it looks like in... Um, like, I've seen photos of it wild in England mm-hmm. where it hasn't, you know, it's actually um, that native there. And it's insane, like the blankets of them. Mm-hmm. In this episode, you'll hear us walking around the garden. We is Grace and Cat Communications Coordinator Nadia Rafai and me. And during this walk, Grace shared her knowledge and joy of vegetable growing with us while we munched on leaves and got excited about textures. It's called Herbastella, like that's the Italian name mm. for them. You can... Oh, But you can either eat it... Oh, it's yummy. Yeah. It's mm. super, to me it's super like... The texture is a bit similar mm. to spinach and yeah. Yum. Yeah. Mm. Personally, I'm very new to gardening. I'm thrilled every time I get to eat something that I grew. My grandfather was an amazing gardener, and I have very deep sensory memories of eating spring onions from his garden, of giant vats of horse poo fertilizer of the sweetest apricots, homemade blackcurrant cordial, and the smell of tomato plants in summer. My granddad loved to experiment, and he worked at the zinc works with European migrants, so he would trade seeds and grew vegetables that were virtually unheard of by the families from Anglo settler slash colonizer stock, like broccoli. Cavalanero, like, um, what, what do we call it? Cavalanero is also called dinosaur kale, like blue kale. Yeah. Mm. That's, you know, you can buy everywhere. That's like in the 90s was a super provincial crop in Italy mm. that was only produced like in a very small region. And then there was like lots of money put in to research to um, cultivate like commercial variety, commercial standard seed. And then there was also funding that went into teaching people how to grow it how to eat it how to sell it Mm. and then now it's become just a you know obviously a dominating crop and that's only in the last 30 years so it's like um still happening now i can show you this this is a good segue to it this is really icy out here just so you know love this crop but this kind of reminds me of like where Cavallo Nero was at back in the day, like in the 90s, so not even back in the day. But this, so this is a, a broccoli as well, um, and it's called Fialaro. It's Italian, and it was only like five years ago, it was only produced, like if our whole farm was producing Fialaro like four times that amount, that was it in the whole country. Like it's so small, so provincial a an amazing crop you can taste it if you if you fancy it Mm. so you eat the leaves which is different to 
how we normally eat broccoli mm. because you eat the oh my gosh, flour. It's delicious. Mm. So this seed is produced. It's like amazing mm. commercial seed, like really uniform and um, prolific. This seed's produced by a company called Smarties in Italy, who are funded by like they get government funding, private funding to produce commercial seed that of these kinds of really important cultural crops mm. that otherwise pretty much can go extinct, literally go extinct. So yeah, that's pretty cool. So maybe this will be the like next Cavalinero <laughs> vibe, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I'll show you my favorite, favorite, favorite crop that we're growing at the moment. Which is big to say because like there's lots of favorites. But this one. This is like a northern Chinese mustard. That wow. um this is like our it's like a trial pretty much. But they're starting to bulb, like see the they're crazy beautiful mm. stem, so that gets pickled. Oh wow. Yeah, they're beautiful. It's pretty cool. I'm really excited about that. Tatsai. That's I'm pretty sure that's the name. One of the names of If you go to Broom and Brian's website, you'll find a page dedicated to the research that Grace does about the crops they produce. It's more than a repository for information about plants and also provides background, recipes and links to further information. I built the database, which is available for everyone to see on our website, partially because I think that if you collect like a little bit more information than you really perhaps need to at the beginning of something then that can like generate other things like you don't always know what's going to what information is going to be useful when you begin something so with the way that we do our succession planting because we're we're pretty much growing to order with our CSA so when we think about our vegetable box we don't just want to put all radicchio in there or all just heaps of beetroots at once or that kind of thing we want it because it's like part of people's kitchens and their lives and they're getting it 52 weeks of the year pretty much people have to cook with it all the time so there's like a large diversity we have like over maybe even coming up to 200 different plants, varieties that go in the box each year, which is quite a lot. So for a while I really was doing a lot of research in ethno, um, ethnobotany and the kind of relationship between wild plant foraging and different um, peoples like all around the world and the relationship between those wild plant foraging and also um, like domesticated cultivation um, and that because that's how, that's like there's really interesting relationships between that where um, certain wild plants will be harvested and eaten that grow among like cropped plants if that makes sense like domesticated crop plants and anyway so I got really into that but I'm because we're tr uh, we're 
talking to our CSA about the plants that we're growing and how to eat them and their cultural histories that span all around the world. But then it's nice if the person that you're receiving carrots from is like, hey, like carrots are actually cool and here's some reasons why and you know and be like oh yeah that's right they're like they've they're they're a species of plant that have been domesticated for like thousands of years they're just they're not just kind of boring objects or something like that they have like really cool histories and yeah they don't just come in kilo bags yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's right even though like our carrots are just they're i don't they're, it's not like they're I think it would be awesome if people were like, love our carrots, and then they're like, I'm so into this carrot soup, I'm just going to go buy more carrots, and they're like holding the Coles carrots with just as much like love and care as they would our carrots, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I asked Grace about the connection between Broom and Brian and her art practice. I don't really have, I don't think I have much of a choice in a way maybe it's just not on purpose that much i i just want to make art work about things that i'm really interested in and thinking about it turned out to be a hard or maybe just lame question and then we got distracted by grace's dog renzo digging up and eating carrots he's gonna harvest carrots (laughs) he loves carrots and daikon no, we don't feed him dog food. He just gets <laughs> vegetables. Yeah. Are you laughing at me? Oh. I'm just going carrots. Oh, my God. <laughs> Later, sitting on a little bridge over a creek, Nadia asked about the connection between Grace's boxing and farming. Well, I think that farming... First of all, it's not like I think that everything is like entirely related or has to be or anything like that. But I do think that farming and boxing have a nice relationship for me because they're both me participating in traditions that weren't mine. I don't even know if they really, maybe they're both becoming mine but they're definitely not mine to begin with so I learned like a very particular style of boxing like old school Soviet style which has some very specific traditions and some quite strange traditions and now that I teach that style I'm always negotiating between like wanting to pretty much respect and and um, kind of teach that tradition whilst at the same time acknowledging facets of it that aren't um, really applicable or necessarily useful for me now and that is a little bit similar with the garden as well because market gardening is a really long tradition lots of different people from all around the world have obviously participated in it Um, Dylan and I definitely are part of, especially with growing for a CSA, not tilling the soil, these kinds, they're sort of styles of production, but obviously everyone's context is really specific and 
the kind of things that Dylan and I like to do and that work for us don't necessarily work for everyone. So they're also becoming our own. And there's also a relationship between the plants that we grow, specifically the varieties and um, those that kind of feel like ours already. Like I, I find that my art practice is like something that's a really generous opportunity for me to kind of consider lots of different facets of um, yeah my practices and hopefully produce something that maybe touches people or produces meaning for other people I'm not trying to tell anyone what to do or anything like that but yeah I don't know Dylan is like a really amazing market gardener and he has his knowledge so we sort of have different sets of knowledge and so his knowledge is he has a lot of knowledge around systems of market gardening and um, my knowledge is more into the history of the plants yeah and how they're prepared and um, who they migrated with and how they became feral or endemic in other places or they're like all skill based so having to practice skills like in boxing there's like and in like all sports there's like the skill based and then there's strength and conditioning which is like usually separate in boxing it's not that separate um, which is kind of where I'm tr kind of shifting away from the tradition of my boxing practice like the skills are traditional but the strength and conditioning is not like and that's that's like my change in style or something like that much to my uh, one of my coaches like kind of rage <laughs> They are similar in that if you don't do them, then like if you don't plant every week, then you, it's pretty difficult to have vegetables available to eat all the time and to harvest all the time. I think it's the same maybe with art and art practice. I'm not really sure. I have like big periods of not making like um, art for shows or anything like that. So maybe that's not the case but boxing and farming are like all about consistency repetition um, and also observation and like if you keep getting hit in the face then you sort of have to change something eventually it's like I don't want to say lucky like I don't mean that I mean like uh, making work is just like a making artwork I mean it's like a really amazing opportunity but I still feel the same way about like people eating vegetables that we grow like I still am like what? it's just really special to me so that's actually where they all align like I feel the same way like last night I took my um, boxing class and te like teaching people and I always walk away from that just like mm, like 
is really special to me or something and that's how I feel about producing work as well and um, delivering and knowing that like all of the members in our CSA are cooking with our vegetables like every week is almost like makes me like yeah it's just amazing it's beautiful it's very special to me so there's one more thing I want to include in this episode because it's super interesting and it's about spinach. Spinach. I love, it's, and this is 100% true, the reason why I love talking about spinach is because so often, because Dylan and I grow a wide diversity of plants and which is awesome and I love, I love doing that, like I love growing herbastella and wild rocket next to something like spinach but people often assume that I'm like a kind of I don't know that I'm like a sort of purist when it comes to seed like I think that we grow lots and lots of open pollinated varieties of seed but we also grow a fair few like very high grade very like there's been a lot of money a lot of technology gone into other varieties of seed that we grow um, and so spinach is kind of this nice crossover between a plant that we all pretty much generally take for granted I even take it for granted in the garden um, because it's everywhere and you can buy it so cheap obviously when you buy it frozen and you can also buy it really cheap in those big bags it's like such a staple of everyone's Saturday morning breakfast or whatever it's certainly not in the same you know league as something like Tardivo um, Radicchio that we were looking at before that looks like this crazy um, squid and it's really bitter and it's very regional and very cool with chefs like not many not many chefs want to buy spinach and sometimes that can say a lot about how cool spinach is but I love growing it not just because I like eating it but I love growing it because it is so ubiquitous and obvious and boring but it has such a interesting history and we all think of spinach as well most of us do as like English spinach and as if it's a sort of European herb or European vegetable and it's not it was domesticated in by the like peoples of the Persian Empire but in, in Iran um, like thousands of years ago thousands of years ago over 2,000 years ago so it's a very old vegetable by like um, our standards or whatever and it was only introduced into Europe like a few hundred years ago maybe 500 years ago by um, Arab peoples on, on like in the Spanish on the Spanish Peninsula if that makes sense so that's also really interesting like that relationship um, even though yeah we all think of it as super euro so that's really interesting and it was also so it was domesticated in Iran and perhaps a thousand years ago as well it ended up in China and was domesticated in China and they have very different um, 
like climates so the uh, like an Asian spinach Chinese spinach is has like a pointy tip it's like really great to grow when it's warmer it's very tolerant to warm conditions whereas the kind of what we think of as English spinach or European spinach really um, perhaps more Iranian spinach or whatever that's got like a curved top of the leaf you can see the leaf is like curved and it's a little bit savoyed so spinach is also interesting because it's very susceptible to disease and it there's been a few very famous worldwide like spinach crises because there are so few that there's so few genetic differences between different cultivars of spinach it's been very heavily um, or technologically grown by big um, seed companies famous seed companies especially in the Netherlands for like a hundred years so the gene there's not that many genes which means that it's very susceptible to if there is like a virus that comes through then it can wipe like wipe out the whole world's you know populations of spinach pretty much and that's kind of similar to what famously happens with bananas you get this like that gets in the news that the like there will be no more bananas because bananas are so similar um yeah there's not much diversity in their genes but so back to the spinach it's cool because we have these massive corporations who produce most of the world's commercial varieties of spinach all um, having their crops threatened constantly by viruses pretty much and so they put in more and more funding into researching the history of spinach like literally following the movement through space and time like the migration with people and spinach and it's like really contentious as to where that's that, that in the literature like scientists are kind of fighting about where and how spinach ended up going and they they'll go through towns into people's gardens trying to find like pretty much feral populations of spinach in order to categorize them take their genes <laughs> take their seed and um and they'll often also encourage the people around that feral spinach to keep like cultivating it like that so that there's um genetic material in a lab in their lab in gene banks and then also in the quote-unquote like wild or whatever so i think that's really interesting and for such a kind of obvious vegetable that none of us are that interested in normally it's got a lot of people and scientists pretty passionate about disagreeing with each other about its history and it's kind of evades um, our knowledge and it's still like a real ongoing uh, like quest <laughs> or whatever
Thank you for joining us on this kind of meandering episode of What Are You Looking At? You heard Grace Gamage talking about vegetables, boxing and art. I'm podcast producer Pip Stafford and I'd like to thank Grace, her partner Dylan and Nadia for their assistance in creating this episode. This episode was produced, edited and mixed by me, Pip Stafford. Additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. Past episodes of this podcast can be found at contemporaryarttasmania.org slash podcast or, of course, on your favourite podcast app. You can find us and rate us on Apple Podcasts if you'd like or send me an email and tell me what you think. pip at contemporaryart.org.au